I'm starting with no data. I'm just going to the customer saying, hey, tell me what data should I look at, right? So it's almost a refreshing way of doing it because I'm like, I don't want any data to taunt or guide me or gear me towards some way or another. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined today by Bassam Hanna, the global head of customer experience at Abbott Laboratories. Abbott is a global healthcare leader providing technologies addressing almost all aspects of healthcare from diagnostics and medical devices to pharmaceuticals. Previous to Abbott, Bassam most recently was leading customer experience at Aura Packaging Solutions and also spent a number of years at Johnson & Johnson, as well as many other experiences in the customer experience space. All that being said, we certainly have a CX expert in the house today. Bassam, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about what's going on in CX and how we can make it better. Awesome. So let's paint the picture for everyone listening. Tell me a little bit about your role at Abbott and what your team handles on the day-to-day. Sure. So I'm actually uh, responsible for the day-to-day technical and customer experience for all of uh, Abbott's medical devices, point of care. So what we do is we touch patients every day, right? We are the front face of Abbott to our patients and our doctors and our users. So my team is responsible for uh, taking all the phone calls, but also handling and looking at the holistic customer experience end-to-end for our customer journey map. How do we improve it? Where do we improve it? And how can we make it better? And last but definitely not least, also what can we do after sales, support functions, loyalty, right? Those are main two things that I responsibly own and my team, but we own, I also own the whole end-to-end customer experience for my division. So it's a really... Holistic, strategic role, but also a very in-depth and day-to-day operations role. Great. And you probably, tell me a little bit about where your team resides. Because I know Abbott's a global company. Where where are the people that you're you're directly leading? We are global as well. So they reside all over and, and everywhere. So we have uh, people supporting us uh, all over the world. But my our main headquarters is in the U.S., in New Jersey. And that's kind of where majority of my team resides today. Great. Well, global tends to mean a lot of complexity, so I'm excited to get into how you handle all of that. Um, But I'd love to just start off by getting your opinion on what you think really sets a successful customer experience organization apart. I think the biggest thing is putting yourself in the customer's shoes, right? And people say that a lot, but it's like, how do you do it? What are we doing? So one of the things, uh, so just for the record, I just joined Abbott, so we're still exploring with this. But we're reaching out to customers asking them, what would you do if you were on this side of the of the wall? If you were in Abbott, what would you like to see that you don't see today? And how can we make that happen? So that's definitely a little bit of a unique way to look at it. But also the other thing is, even though we're B2B, we sell to hospitals and other entities, people assume that it's different. It is not. It's the same as the B2C. People are people, right? Whatever the Amazon experience is, they expect that everywhere they go now, which is pretty tough for all of us CXers, right? But I think that's a big part of it is how and what do you do to personalize it, even in the B2B, which is a very hard thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's so important gathering that feedback so that you're really educating yourself on the customer journey from their perspective. Right. And I'd love to hear a little bit more of like, how are you approaching that outreach? And I'm assuming these are you're going to hospitals or medical providers. Tell us a little bit about how we you are. About so it. 
So we are actually doing the voice of customer, which everybody does, but we're actually retailoring it. We're actually calling and making it shorter to the point. And we're looking for specific parts of the journey map where we think there's friction and we're asking them specifically about those. How is it going in those specific point points? The other thing we're doing is we're going customer visits. We're doing customer um, focus groups. And, you know, uh, you know, as I said, I'm new to Abbott, but in other organization, what we did is we actually went out in other companies and added supply chain or customer experience analysts that went and visited the customer with the sales reps. That was crucial, crucial for our success because we heard all the things the sales rep didn't hear, right? And now we had the knowledge and the information. And we also were able to resolve a lot of the opportunities and issues that the sales rep weren't able to, right? Because they're not in the day-to-day. -day. They're focused on that sales process. We're focused on the support, the supply, the inventory, the billing, all the other things that keep the customer loyal. So I think those are some of the ideas we're trying to go down the road on. And so then what's the next step? Once you gather that feedback, what do you do with it? So it's all about what matters to them most versus what matters to us most. And that's an uphill battle. I'm sure a lot of your, our listeners will agree if they're in the customer experience space. It's like, what do we want them to do versus what they want to do, right? And it's how do you find that middle happy ground, right? Because they might want to even, they might not care about some of the metrics we look at inter internally. They're like, we don't care, right? What we want is this. We don't care how you get there, but that's what we want. And that's why we want it as customers, right? So... But I also personalize it. When we go and do some shopping ourselves, we don't really care how hard or easy it is to get that product because we just want the product. Right? It's just the same thing. It's just how do you convince the ELT and the C-suite of that? It's like, hey, this is what they're saying. So that's why it's so helpful when they have it from the customer themselves. They hear from them and they hear it in the voice of customer survey. So it's like now you're giving them data, metadata they can use. For sure. It's so, so important. I know I've, I'm sure we've all had experiences where we're working with teams where we're like, but we want the customer to do this thing. And we're like, the customer doesn't care. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the metrics that you use to track success. Uh, the biggest one that I've used in previous life is first contact resolution. First contact uh, resolution is critical because really that is not measuring just how good my agents are, but it's also measuring Basically, are we getting to the core of what they're calling for? And also, if I build it right, I should have been able to self-serve a lot of what it is for FCR, right? Because, you know, the other one we use, and people like this a lot. I'm not a big fan of it. CSAT, MPS, you know, all that. But what does it mean? I don't want to just use a number to use a number. It's like, what does it mean to us? Right? Okay, so great. We're in a, I don't know, if the goal is 100% MPS or 10 MPS, whatever number, you're at a 10, okay? How does that mean? What's that mean? Are you churning less? Are you losing less customer? Is your loyalty brand higher? How are you measuring those? So that's kind of some of the things we looked at is churn, customer retention, utilization of our, like when I was in J&J, &J, we had brands that we look at utilization. How often are they staying or adhering to our medication? Are they changing brands or are they staying with us? Because they give us a 10 every survey, but they're going to other brands. It doesn't help me, right? So, mm -hmm. For sure. 
it's yeah i mean i'm glad you bring up the the concept of nps because i think it it can tell us something but it's not enough for us to really make decisions about how we're then you know supporting our customers um and as you kind of look at the data that you have i'm i'm sure you're collecting quite a bit how do you sift through all that data and actually gather those valuable insights that you can even then take to the customer to to validate yeah so i'm starting with no data i'm just going to the customer saying hey tell me what data should i look at right so it's almost a refreshing way of doing it because i'm like i don't want any data to taunt or guide me or gear me towards some way or another so one of the things I'm doing is I'm actually, I've done it and I'm doing it again. I went to customer visit. I said, okay, tell me what works, what doesn't. Tell me what's good with my team. What's horrible with my team? What opportunities do I have to fix? And I've took that and made changes, right? An example that we didn't have a knowledge management system. So we implemented one. Our voice of customer survey was so long. It's like, we are not going to take that survey. So we're redoing the survey. Um, we were over-communicating. We're looking at ways to streamline communication. What is critical, what is not, what channels. And again, we're not going to fix it all in a day and night, but it's a journey, right? That's why one of my mentors always told me, customer experience is a journey. It's not a one and done because it can't be, right? They're always going to be evol evolving needs for our customer. It's just how do you keep on top of it? How do you keep listening to them? Exactly. That's awesome. I, I love the approach of going to the customer first because that's true customer centricity, right? If that's the goal, then we need to be really focused on what matters to them. And so then tell me, once you have that information, how are you empowering your team to really deliver on it? I know you mentioned the, the Knowledge Hub, which can be so valuable for a team, but how are you really inspiring that customer centricity throughout your organization? Yeah, so the Knowledge Hub to us is going to be... Um the basis for a big plan, right? It's just not our team, but we're also looking at what other teams can benefit out of it. Our uh, service model is very complex all over the world. So it's how do we shape it and bend it to work that. So an example in J&J, right? On an Aurora, we developed the knowledge management and both organization. And what we did with it is we didn't just make it for the tech support or customer service. We actually shared it with our sales rep. We shared it with our implementation group. So everybody was given the same answer. Consistency was great, right? So as a customer, you're hearing the same answer for the same question from three different people. That's building trust right away without you even having to work on it. And I think that's a big part of why we're doing this, right? Let's all say the same thing and let's not each all give our own version of what we think the truth is, right? Uh, so I think that's kind of the, the big plan for the knowledge management here is not just to support one group or another, it's how do we connect all the group into it and how do we make all the material that we're sharing connect and make sense? Yeah, it's so important. I, I really like that you brought up the point about building trust because when we have inconsistency in how we're showing up to our customer, they're going to be like, what's going on here? <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, myself and many of the other customer experience leaders I speak to, we're like, we see what the customer wants. We understand that we need to have this shared knowledge, but then how are you actually like going to these other teams and getting them to adopt it as well? Yep. So they are my customers too. And I tell them that, and I've been saying that a lot on campus and people are like, what? You're, we're your customers so we can demand whatever? I'm like, well, it depends on what you're demanding, right? 
Um, but what's in it for them, right? There is a need, there is a gap, and it's how you sell it. That's a big thing is even though we're not in the sales team, we're salespeople, right? We always have to sell what we're doing. So that's what it is. So I like, as I, again, when I did it in J&J and other organization previously, what I did is, hey, here's what we're going to offer and here's what you get out of it. You get a consistent, up-to-date way to troubleshoot and help your customers without even having to invest in it. And they're like, oh, wow, sign me up, right? It's easy. It's seamless. It's not an effort for them. And we need it to keep, we are their faith. So if we don't get it right, they won't get it right. So that's how you kind of sell it. And you kind of make sure that they know what they're getting to, right? But also the big part is utilization. If you go back and you see them not utilizing, that's when you hold them accountable. Like, hey, we didn't just make the investment for you to have it. How are you utilizing? Why are you not opening? We've shared all these new documents on there and you guys haven't seen it. What are you telling our customers then? Because we hear it afterwards in the support site. So hopefully we get it right on the sales side. <laughs> totally. And yeah, it's so important. We needing to put it into their perspective. We can't just say, hey, sales, you have to use this. I mean, they, they want to be sold to as well sometimes, right? So yeah, it's it's so, so important. When it comes to your team, I know, uh, you know, this is such a big topic in the realm of customer support at the moment is efficiency. And how are you ensuring that your team is really, you know, getting through as many tickets and calls and all of that as possible? What are some of the tactics that you're implementing there to make sure that you're able to achieve that? Well, so it's funny, right? AI is becoming a big, big keyword. Everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. So we're looking at it too. It's just a matter of what, what we use it for and how we use it. Um, I'm not, and I've said this in other places I've talked to, I don't think AI is the solution for every problem in the world. Unless people say, oh my God, chat, GPT is going to take over the world. We're going to be all like jobless. I'm like, I don't think so. I think it's just going to be a supporter of what we need to do, right? So we're looking at how and what self-service options can we add. If we can add a chat bot, now that we have the knowledge management up and running, if we can add AI to our um, website and where would it be and what questions would it give, right? So it's all about fitting the AI in the right spot and not just over bombarding it. And this is, again, where we're going in and asking customers, what do you want to see different? Where can we support, right? What are the most common things? Again, I don't want us to sound like we only do stuff where, you know, without customer's permission, we do, but it's just always good to add that. And, you know, they are the end user of them. It might not work for all customers, but we got to find out what right works for a majority of them. For sure. It's interesting when it comes to AI and listening to your customer, because I feel like customers, I mean, none of us really know what's possible, right? And so they might be asking for something that is like, not even scratching the surface of what's possible or the opposite way. Like, do you have some examples of things that you've kind of garnered from those interviews? And, and are Yeah, so again, I'll go back in history because we haven't done a lot of market research here, but some of the things we heard from our customers like, hey, we just want to refill our, you know, when my product runs out, I want you just to reorder it. I don't want to have to call it. So we worked and we found ways to where, hey, you know what? We will work internally and find ways to replenish your order, right? We would say, hey, it's a 90 days. We know your usage. So therefore, we'll send it out pre-order. And you'll just, all you'll get is an email saying your order has been shipped. 
Salesforce Customer 360 is the world's number one AI CRM, helping companies build stronger customer relationships, drive faster time to value, and innovate with every technology wave. Learn more about their expert resources and support at sfdc.co slash Salesforce customer success. Right, so that's kind of some of the smartness and stuff we've used for AI. Uh, the other thing we did is we built an RPA, right? So we still had a lot of inventory and stuff that we did it needed to do and emails that we'd get over and over and over. We just got our RPA process to process through the real emails we need to look at or the junk emails we don't need to. Because we got a lot of thank yous, thank you, thank you for, you know, people are great, which is great, but I can't afford having my center sit there and do that all day. So we got some, an RPA to just say, if it's a thank you, delete just you know delete it we don't need it but if there's any other words in there let's look at it right so send it to this person or that person that's how i think you can maximize ai in the right way because you're still getting what you want and you need but you're not overdoing everything right yeah that's interesting it's kind of like we can simplify our lives with ai but so that we can do the jobs we need to do better faster the complex ends needs a human being at the end of the day. A hundred percent. What are some ways that if if you've gotten near yet at Abbott, you're implementing AI beyond what you've just shared? Uh, really, that's we just aren't scratch the surface, right? I think that's the biggest thing. The possibilities are endless, but I'm not over committing to anything till I really figure out what we need to do from a customer strategic roadmap, right? Because I don't want to make an investment in like in a chat bot and that nobody uses. Right. And it's also debugging some of these myths that people are like, oh, well, you have it the easy stuff. And then they can call us for the rest. Now, if they start on one channel, they need to finish everything in that channel. Right. The channel hopping that we have to go through is one of the worst experiences ever. I hate it. So I would not want my customers to go through it. So it's just, it's educating at the same time as developing is what we're going through too. And it's funny, as I said, my mentor and me talk because I feel like I go to him all the time. I said, why is it all the time I have to educate everybody on what we do? Like, welcome to CX, man. <laughs> so that's a big part of the job. Uh-huh. A hundred percent. What do you think is the most like common misconception that people have about CX? Um, that we don't know our customers. Ah, yeah, they think that most of what we give them back is our own perspective, not our customers. Mm-hmm. We got to change that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's great. And as you're like thinking about implementing different AI technologies into your organization, what would you say are some of like the most difficult parts of that? I think the most difficult part of AI is, again, it's not implementing it. It's what are you using it for, right? Because yeah. as a customer, I don't like AI when I call in. Yeah, I'm, hard, I'm one of the worst customers <laughs> any company would ever want, right? Because my expectations are so high because I'm in the field. But like if the chatbot or AI self-service doesn't get what I want after two or three times of me saying it, I'm pressing that zero. I want somebody right away. But at the same time, I don't call unless I've tried to chat. I've tried to email them. I've tried every other channel, right? So I've given, that's my way of giving them a chance. But once I get to the phone, I don't want another bot. At that point, if you've seen me, 
and you know your customer because you know you have my data, you've seen that I've tried to chat you, email you, you should get me directly to a person. And I think that's where companies fail. They don't make the connections. They don't look at it among a cross channel. It's not omni-channel, cross channel. <laughs> and that personalization is something that's just becoming so much more important as consumers get smarter and our expectations get higher. And I think it's, I mean, exactly as you're saying, like not only personalizing based on like what we know about the customer, but also how they've been using our technology and using our tools. So how are you approaching personalization and, and utilizing data to provide a streamlined service? Yeah, so the beauty of our product is we can't personalize. It's a very one product fits all, right, which is good. What we're trying to do is personalize the experience they have when they call it, right? So it's like we are trying to work on who, getting to know who they are, what they do, how we've supported them, what potentially could they be calling us for. That's how we can personalize. If it's a trouble issue, a troubleshooting issue, there's nothing I can do to personalize that any more than that because I don't know it till I talk to them. But everything else before, I can try. If it's a service, I can definitely personalize. If you just made an order, I'm assuming you're calling about billing or to figure out where the order is. So I can, you know, get that a little bit. But yeah, that's the kind of the balance we got to find out. Can you give me an example of what that might look like in sure. in your system? Yeah, so uh, we ha I'm not going to go with this system yet. I'll use previous life. But what we've done is we made the IVR smart enough to figure out when you call, it's integrated to our CRM. We know probably you just placed an order on our website. So we give you four options. Hey, are you calling about shipping, billing, or your last order? Right? The other two are others or, you know, for everything else, press whatever. Most people, 80% press one of the straight. And that's how we got it right. Because we personalized, right? It's either the shipping, whatever, and then we would go to, down the road. But if it was a billing question, we'd probably get them to somebody, right? Because we wanted to personalize that experience even more. But it's personal, right? When you're dealing with, and especially these were people who had surgery, people who had stuff deadlines, so we wanted to make sure that was right. The order one, we can self-serve to a point, then we would get to the person. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the tree always ended with somebody taking the call if it did end it somewhere, right? So that's how we personalize the experience to that point. But we, we know who they were. We had all that from the background of knowing our customers. Yeah. I'd love to understand a little bit about the tech stack that you're using at Abbott to to know your customers, right? Because yep. having access to that information so that you don't have a customer say, like telling you everything that you should already know, like what are you using? What usually I would do is we need a very good CRM, right? We need a one central database of record where my website lives, my, you know, social media lives. Even though people don't put social media as medical devices or pharmaceutical, like you need social media. I'm like, yeah, they're talking about our product. We want to know what they're talking about. Um, social media lives, right? Your email, your text, your chats, all those go into the same thing as your calls. And it just, then from there, you look at it all as one person. You look at it as a person, not as an interaction. 
that's very critical. And that's where a lot of failures happen. People look at, oh, well, I got 5,000 interactions. Now, how many people were that really, or customers? And if you look at a personal standpoint, customer standpoint, you'll notice it wasn't 5,000. It's the same 50 people, 100 people that are trying to get you in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point, right? Yep. There's always the the folks who are a little louder who are probably reaching out to you more often and, and knowing you know, how often someone's reaching out to you as well as, as yep. someone who's a frequent caller, like, you know. And why they're a frequent caller is even yeah. harder to find out. Totally. 100%. But a good CRM is essential. Um, yep. When it comes to, I mean, in the healthcare industry, which I know you have quite a bit of experience with, there's a lot of regulations as well. And how are you kind of navigating like data privacy or how have you navigated data privacy? <laughs> That all trumps everything we're doing. So me and my legal and compliance partners become very, very close buddies because I'm in, I'm there visiting with them a lot, asking, you know, permission before I do anything because of how important and critical it is, right? And also with AI, with all this innovation, with all this technology, we got to be careful where we put our data, how we store the data, and what data we take and what data we don't need because... I don't want to gather data. We're not in, I'm not, you know, AWS, I need all that data stuff. I just need the critical stuff for my success. So that's actually something we partner very closely on. And we also partner with them and they're always part of any project we work on in every organization I've worked at in healthcare. Yep. Yeah. They need to be there telling you what you can and cannot do. <laughs> yep. Sure. As well, I, I look at it, they're protecting us. Mm -hmm. All of us. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I imagine, I mean, in healthcare, I mean, kind of any industry at this point, we're moving really quickly. Things are changing really fast. Regulations, especially when you're a global company, you have to be keeping tabs on like what's happening here, what's happening there. How are you like, how do you approach that rapid change and also like leading your team to adjust as those things happen? Yeah, so that's the hardest one, right? Especially when you talk about privacy and stuff. Like, EMEA has its own rules. Asia back isn't as strict. You know, U.S. is dependent on the state. You might have different regulations. So this is where you have to focus on your customer base, try and make it standard for everybody, but also adhere. So like an example we have to do is we have to give two opt-outs in EMEA for people, customers. Right, and we had to find a solution. If they don't want their call recorded, what do we do? And the new result, new law now is customer service rep can can opt out of being having their call calls recorded. So now it's like, oh, my employees can even not have their calls recorded. So the individual channels had to be a certain way. We had to go more email, more chat, but we also offered faster email and chat service level than we do in the U.S. So there, my, our expectation is two hours, right? How can we respond to an email within two hours? In the US, it might be good to be four because, again, we have other channels. If it's urgent enough, they'll call us, right? But that's how you shift and you adjust and you adapt. But it is definitely, that's where you need good partners as well, global partners. So when I look at partners who are the organizations I work with, they can't be just local. They can't be 
a small organization that's bailed out of the US. They need to be global with offices everywhere. I have my offices, they need to have offices. So that's how I get the pulse of what's going on in that region. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned when it comes to like recording calls, I'm always curious to know from, from customer support leaders, like how are you managing quality on your team? Yep. Yeah, so we actually have a two-pronged approach to quality, right? So we have our survey after every call or after every email and after every chat. So that's our customer facing. But we also have a very robust uh, quality program that uses humans, but also uses AI. So we take and convert text. We haven't done it in Abbott, just for the record, so I don't want to get people's hope up. But we've done it before where we've taken uh, all the chat uh, calls, convert them to text, and look at keywords and tones. Keyword tones meaning, hey, if they say sorry a lot, on our side or their side, that means something, you know, wasn't going right, right? If there was a caps, like, not caps per se, but you know what I mean? That So are you trying to... We're still experimenting. We experimented a little when I was leaving some of the other orgs we did this on, on the textology part, right? It gave us some insight, but it didn't give us a whole part of it. That's why I'm not moving fully into that side. And that's why I still have people listening because that tone still matters. And also it's a culture. It's all about the culture we're trying to build within my team and also to our customers. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that culture. So as you can tell, I'm very much customer-centric, right? And that's the culture I'm trying to build. So one of the things I tell my team is, you are my customers. So what I can, what can I do to make you guys happier? Employee engagement is so important. as It says equivalent, if not more important, than customer engagement and customer satisfaction somewhat. So we always try and build a fun environment. Um, you know, this whole hybrid remote, flex in office, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but that's another critical piece of the culture, right? And always telling them the why. I'm, I'm very direct in my style. I always tell them what it is, why it is, and how it is, and why we made that decision, right? So they get it all. They might not be convinced or happy with the decision, but at least they know why we made the decision. Um, and it seemed to work, right? People are okay with it for the most part. I love the the comment on making a fun environment because especially when we're talking to angry customers all day or, uh, you know, people are reaching out to us because something didn't go right most often. Yep. Not. So being able to create some lightness within the organization, what are some of the things that you do to create that kind of environment oh, in your team? Well, so we go big or go home, right? That's our motto always. So, uh, so that customer service week, we just celebrated that. So... Uh, I hope everybody had a great customer service that week that's listening to me, but we just went all out. We actually brought in all of our field teams because my team are, also has some people in the field, brought them in all to headquarters. We went out, we had dinner, we had pizza, we had a, uh, was it PJ party? I don't even remember because honestly what I do is my team is empowered. We have a fun committee and the fun committee is the one that plans and prepares everything and they are the one that it's so it's from them to them i just pay the bell at the end of the day yeah i've also implemented fun committees on yes. my teams and it's such a like imp i think it's such an important way to approach it because i don't know what they want to do you know it's like 
I, I I can come up with some ideas, but I'm also like pulled in a million different directions. And there are people on my team who would have so much fun making fun things for everyone. And I think it's just such an awesome way to go. I agree. And usually they're better at doing it than we are anyway. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been such a fabulous conversation. I have one last question for you before sure. we close it out. What is one piece of advice that you think every customer experience leader should hear? I think that the piece of advice I tell everybody is, if you're not in this business because you love helping people, you're in the wrong industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. We need the heart (laughs) to be able to to deliver. I, I think that's such an important message. So thank you so much for sharing it. Well, Bassem, it's been so wonderful chatting with you, hearing all about customer centricity, cross-functional collaboration, AI, leadership. Um, I think you were going to have an amazing journey at Abbott. I know you're just at the beginning of that journey, but it sounds like you're making some massive impacts already. So can't wait to hear how it goes. And thank you again for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have more conversation like this. Perfect. And for all of you listening, if you enjoyed this conversation, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you thought of the show. All righty, everyone. I'll talk to you later. Salesforce Customer 360 is the world's number one AI CRM, helping companies build stronger customer relationships, drive faster time to value, and innovate with every technology wave. Learn more about their expert resources and support at sfdc.co slash Salesforce customer success.